0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast, we believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today, old brother Ted is going to be ranting because... I, uh, I I tweeted something, I tweeted something uh, last night. I'll read it to you because I don't. People are just blowing my mind in, in 2021. But I wrote on Twitter, "I'm sick of people being apologetically Pentecostal. Whose approval are you trying to gain? Some scholarly wannabe apologist with a blog." I'll take the mockery, just give me the miracles. And then I gave a peace sign. I'll take the mockery, just give me the miracles. You know, so this is going to be, just for context, this is going to be today a rant on Pentecostalism, but not on, on Pentecostalism itself, on those who claim to be Pentecostal, but they're trying to be so mainstream that they've really left all of the Pentecostal disciplines and uh, uh, doctrinal beliefs behind. And it's ridiculous. So I want to talk about it because first we need to ask ourselves, is Pentecostalism important? Is it important to be Pentecostal? Is it important to be Pentecostal? Is it important to have that subsequent experience to salvation, somebody has to online. What does subsequent mean? It means taking place after. It's subsequent, it's in the sequence, it's after the thing we're speaking about. So when we say that the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is subsequent to salvation, that means that salvation takes place first, has to, and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit takes place after that. Now, it can happen at the same time, but obviously you have to be saved before you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's just common sense because Jesus said, you can't put new wine into old wine skins, meaning he could not do for Old Testament people what he was going to do for New Testament people, meaning in the Old Testament and during the Gospels, You couldn't fill people with the Holy Spirit. He could not permanently reside in any person's body because their spirits had not yet been regenerated or renewed by salvation, right? So you can't take the Holy Spirit and put him in or unite him with a spirit that is unsaved, unregenerated, unrenewed. Jesus said the wineskin would burst if you did that. So you don't want the Holy Spirit to destroy you. You want him to help you as God means for him to do. So what what we want to talk about is, is after we understand that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit can dwell in every believer. The Holy Spirit can empower every believer, right? So one of the things that we need to get, if, is it important to be Pentecostal? Well, one of the things that I would say to you is this. Um, Paul, the apostle, and you can go with me, uh, to the book of Romans. I want to take you there first. Paul, the apostle said in Romans chapter one, for I, this is verse 16. Now this is a very popular verse. I'm sure you know it. I'm going to read it again. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, I want to show you something. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. When you are talking about the gospel, the good news, what I want you to see is that it's not just redemption from sin. It's not just that because Jesus, even in his own uh, explanation of what he was going to do in his work for the earth, even Jesus promised them by prophecy, the church, his followers, his believers, the disciples, he promised them. And I want you to go with me to John chapter 14. He promised them that even after he left them, ascended into heaven, he wasn't going to leave them alone. He wasn't going to leave them alone. He wasn't going to leave them as orphans, one translation said. So if we're in John 14, I want you to see how Jesus promises this and prophesied this. John 14 and verse 16 and 17 and 18. Now look at this. Jesus said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper or some translations advocate or counselor, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Get this now. And I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All right. So here Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit to the church. He's promising to send the Holy Spirit to the church. Now we know what he's saying here. My work is not done until I ascend into heaven, sit down at the right hand of the father, which we know he did. And then he said, I will pray to the father and he will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit who will live in you, be in you forever, dwell with you forever. Now, if we go two chapters over to John 16, the Bible says, uh, verse 13, I'll read 12 and 13, I'll actually read 12 through 15, John 16, 12 through 15, listen, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you." So Jesus is teaching that after salvation, that's not going to be the end. It's not the end of his desire for the believer. It's not the end of the father's desire for the believer. Notice this, he said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's look at the end of the Gospel of John, John 20. Um, because this is a very, very important uh, passage here. And Jesus, and I love this, Jesus shows up after. His resurrection, right? He's now been crucified. He's been buried. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. He was resurrected and now he's glorified and he's walking around. He appears to the disciples. Okay. And I want you to see this verse 20, John 2020. 20. Look at this. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, now watch this right here. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see that receive the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, was not them getting baptized in the Holy ghost. This is the disciples being regenerated in salvation. This is their salvation moment. Let me get this. So you you really understand it. When Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive you the Holy ghost. It wasn't them being baptized in the Holy spirit because otherwise, if they already were, why did they need to go wait in Jerusalem until they were filled with power from on high? If they were uh, already filled with the Holy Ghost, they didn't need to wait in Jerusalem. They could have just gone on about their ministries, preaching, teaching, casting out devils, healing the sick. No, this was not them getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. This was their salvation moment. This is the first they saw him after his resurrection. He was uh, bringing them into the new creation reality. You are now new creatures in Christ Jesus, receive you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, whether you're baptized in the Holy Ghost with power or not. It is the Holy Spirit that seals your salvation. There is no Christian on the earth that does not have the Holy Spirit, none. That's that's an erroneous belief that until you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you don't have the Holy Ghost, that's not true. Every Christian, Every that this is why he would say it like that, Robert, because every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved unless your salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so there is not one, there's not one Christian on earth that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Now being baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost is another, it's another experience. Jesus taught it. The apostles taught it. The early church understood it, and I'm going to show it to you today so that you understand it, but understand this. They didn't need to go to Jerusalem. Thank you. AJ puts the scripture in the comments. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Romans eight, nine. So there it is. There it is. Anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit. Does not belong to God. So every person, every person who uh, is saved has the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. But that doesn't mean, praise God, Gina, what a a, uh, testimony. Gina said, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire from you when you were at Peckville via live stream. That's wonderful. Please write that story into me, uh, Gina, either by text or by email. I'd love to hear the the whole thing. Powerful. AJ is putting these, uh, for those of you that want to put them in your comments, uh, you can put them in the comments, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you cannot even call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So everybody that's a Christian has the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit That's an empowering, it's an endowment, it's an equipping for work. No question that is a separate and subsequent experience. It is. It absolutely is. Because first of all, these disciples would not have had to tarry in Jerusalem to receive the power if they already got it from Jesus. They would have just gone on about their ministries, right? But in Luke, at the end of the gospel of Luke, he commands them, go and wait or tarry in Jerusalem until you are filled with power from on high. Okay, so let's get this because I understand the argument some people could make. Well, that's only because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out with or hadn't been poured out yet upon the believers uh, for them to have the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's, let's deal with this. First, we'll show you what happened at Pentecost. Then we'll move on from Pentecost because some might say, uh, well, let me deal with Pentecost first. Every person in the upper room was a Christian. That's what you need to get first. Every person in the upper room was a Christian. Every person in the upper room already had the Holy Spirit sealing their salvation. What were they waiting for? Okay, let's go for that. Acts chapter one, what were they waiting for? What were they waiting for? Well, this is what they're waiting for. Jesus said it, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what were they waiting for in the upper room if they were already Christians, they were waiting to receive power from the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus said. They were waiting to receive power from the Holy Ghost. And so every Christian who was in the upper room was already converted. They were already, they already had the Holy Spirit sealing their salvation, right? Uh, Of course, one can receive the Holy Spirit without water baptism, Water baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. Okay. Yes, they did, Robert. So Robert brings up a great point. So I have a question. They did powerful works before that upper room experience, right? Yes. You know how they did it? Through the authority of Christ. That's why he explained to them, I'm leaving you now. I'm leaving you. Now you need your own power. They did it through the authority of Christ. He gave them authority as they were his disciples to do the works that he did. But in order to continue on, they would need their own power. And that's why they went to the upper room. That's why he poured out the Holy Spirit. And that is why every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit in baptism. Now watch. He said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses, someone who can produce evidence, a witness that this power is real, that Jesus is alive, see? And so we know that every person in the upper room was a Christian. They needed the power of the Holy Ghost. All right, let's stop there. There are some people who would argue that yes, it's true in John 20, that when Jesus said, receiving the Holy Ghost, they were getting their salvation. And yes, it's true, they waited in the upper room to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but uh, that's only because the, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on the earth like Joel prophesied. Okay, okay, so let's move further then, through the book of Acts, because what you're going to see is, I agree with you now, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Poured out on the day of Pentecost. All right, that's right, Robert, they did act out of authority. So if we keep going, then how would we explain some of these other passages? I'll give you a perfect example. How about Acts chapter eight? This is a good example. Acts chapter eight. We have a story here of Philip who went to Samaria. Persecution was becoming heavy in Jerusalem. Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to preach Christ unto them. And the Bible says uh, that people, I'm going to read it to you, we're in Acts chapter 8 and I'm going to start reading with verse 5. Acts 8 and verse 5 is where I begin. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many were who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in the city. Okay now look at this uh, I'll keep on reading verse 12 but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God And the name of Jesus Christ, these are the people of the city. So they saw the miracles, they saw the signs, it drew them in, they heard his preaching. And the Bible says, and they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, watch this, and they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon the sorcerer himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip And seeing the signs and great miracles he performed, he was amazed. So I want you to see this. Philip preached the gospel with signs and wonders following. The people of the city believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. So understand something. The gospel touched the hearts of these men and women in Samaria and they were converted. They believed and were baptized. What did Jesus say? He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe shall be damned. That's in the great commission. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be damned. So they believed and they were baptized. What were they saved? So all of these people in Samaria were Christians. Now, verse 14, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now let me stop here. Let me make a marking here and just stop here. Because Peter and John did not come from Jerusalem to pray for these people so they could be saved. You can't pray salvation into someone. I can't lay my hands on you and command you to be saved. It doesn't work like that. The Bible says you've got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you'll be saved. So salvation cannot come because I prayed it into you. So what can come? What is this passage talking about? That when Peter and John came from Jerusalem, And found these new believers. They'd received the word of God. They were saved. They came to do what? To pray for them. That they might receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the explanation of verse 16. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what the scripture is telling us is. That they were saved but they weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because they're not the same thing. It's a subsequent experience. It's a separate experience. Though every Christian has the Holy Spirit, every Christian is not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice this, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, verse 17, they laid their hands on them, And they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the only passage we have in the book of Acts that tells us that people received the Holy Spirit baptism, but doesn't show us what they did. We, of course, we as Pentecostals believe that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Ghost, why? It happened in Acts 2, it happened in Acts 10, it happened in Acts 19. Acts 8 is the only place that doesn't specifically say that they spoke with tongues. However, let me show you something. The Bible says, now, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, He offered them money to get the power. First of all, let me ask you a question. If there was no outward expression of their baptism in the Holy Spirit, what did Simon see? Because being baptized in the Spirit is an inward work. It's an inward work, something that happens in your spirit man. So he couldn't see into their spirits, so something was happening by inference here that He could see in the natural realm. They were doing something. My belief, because it lines up with all the other passages of scripture, (laughs) my belief is that they were speaking in other tongues, like Acts 2, like Acts 10, like Acts 19, like Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 14. When Paul got baptized in the Holy Spirit, he turned into such a tongue talker that by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 14, he tells the church who, by the way, had an abundance of utterance gifts at work in the church. He told them, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I speak in tongues more than all of you. And here, here truly is like one of the things I want to rant on for a little bit is, is when did we be, when when do we become so embarrassed of speaking in tongues? Like this is one of the things that I don't get. We've got all these Pentecostals and quote unquote, these Pentecostal churches, these Pentecostal, they're neo-Pentecostal. They want to modify what being Pentecostal is. They're embarrassed. First of all, how Pentecostal can you be if you are embarrassed or timid about the initial evidence of your Pentecostal experience? How Pentecostal can you really be if you're embarrassed of speaking in tongues, if you're Tim intimidated or timid about speaking in tongues. Well, you know, we don't want to freak people out. (laughs) You don't know the Holy spirit. Let me just say that to you. If you think that speaking in tongues is going to freak somebody out, you don't know the Holy ghost. Yeah. I'm getting into that Cody because Cody's joking me. He said, I heard love was the evidence. Yeah. There's plenty of people out there. I don't understand what the, why you're embarrassed. I don't understand why you're so timid. Who are you trying to gain the approval of? Who are you trying to get mainline mainstream with? I don't get it. Why, why are we looking for approval outside of, Penteco- of the Pentecostal circles? I don't understand why we've got people that don't even believe that the Holy Spirit uh, still manifests himself today as he did in the early church. These people are called cessationists. They believe that the Holy Spirit ceased in his operation after the early church, uh, or the last apostle died, however you want to categorize it. They don't believe that people speak in tongues today, or they don't, they don't even believe, like we do, that speaking in tongues is a heavenly language. They think it was just m- merely uh, people who had never learned a language speaking a foreign language, which is not what it is. It's not what it ever has been. The Bible never says that speaking in tongues is the ability to speak a foreign language. Never says that anywhere. They go to Acts chapter two and they erroneously interpret that to mean that the, uh, up, the early, or the, those in the upper room were speaking uh, supernaturally a foreign language. And if you read the text carefully, that can't be what it means. Can't be what it means. Because the Bible says all of the devout Jews from every nation under heaven were there and listening to the 120 and the Bible says, and each one of them heard them speaking in his language. Do you know what that means? That all the devout Jews, let's say that some of them were from Russia. Okay, I'm gonna use modern day nations so that you can see. Let's say some were Russian. The Bible is saying that the Russian Jews heard all 120 speaking Russian. Whereas the Chinese Jews heard all 120 speaking Chinese, whereas the, you know, whatever you go to any nation you want, they heard all 120 speaking their language. It's not that they uh, were, were empowered to speak foreign languages. It's that they were praying in the spirit, speaking in tongues and God allowed the Jews to hear it in their own language. You know, it could only be that because how can other people that were listening say, no, they're just drunk. Since when does getting drunk give you the ability to speak a foreign language? That's one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard anybody make about speaking in tongues. Because if they truly were just speaking a foreign language, how were they speaking every foreign language under heaven, and each person heard the group speaking his? doesn't make sense. And then some in the group said, no, they're drunk. Yeah. Go to any bar where you live and just listen to people when they're blasted. They start, they don't start speaking Mandarin. You don't get blasted and start speaking, you know, Bulgarian. It doesn't work like that. And this is the miracle of speaking in tongues. And Paul makes it clear makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that when someone prays in an unknown tongue, no man understands him. That's what he said. You see that? When someone speaks in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, no man understands him, for he speaks mysteries in the spirit. He speaks not unto men, but unto God. That's 1 Corinthians 14. He speaks not unto men, but unto God. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. My belief, Liz, is that God on the day of Pentecost did the interpretation because these men clearly understood in their own language, but show me a place, show me a place in the Bible where an apostle taught that speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in foreign languages. It's not, it's not the purpose nor the teaching and for these guys to get up and I don't care how hip you are and I don't really care how big your church is. If you get up and you're trying to become so mainstream because you know, there's things you can say to gain popular approval, you know, when really, you know, when you speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is good and I speak in tongues, but you know, really, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the real, the real sign, the real evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit is that you walk in love. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Bible doesn't say that the real sign that you got baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you walk in love. Now, every, every Christian should walk in love. Every Christian should operate in all nine fruit of the Spirit. No question about that. But that's not the initial evidence that you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how stupid it is to make that argument reading the book of Acts? That's straight foolishness to say, you know, and all of the men, all of the devout men from every nation under heaven looked up and saw the 120 and were amazed as they all were walking in love. (laughs) How stupid, how stupid is that to make that argument? And they saw all 120, the devout men from every nation under heaven came to Jerusalem and the, they, they heard and they looked up and they saw that all of the 120 were walking in love and forgiveness. <laughs> That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Do you think in Acts chapter eight, Peter and John came down from Jerusalem and laid their hands on the new believers? And you think the thing that Simon, the sorcerer saw that blew his mind that blew his mind and made him want to pay to get the power. We said, man, I just saw the apostles lay hands on all those Samaritan believers and they all just started walking in love. <laughs> That's what Simon saw that caused him to want to buy that power. You honestly think that? You go into the Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10 and, and you see, and, and the Jews that, are, that were at Pentecost are now in, in, in uh, Cornelius' house and Peter's preaching the gospel. And they all, as Peter is preaching, every one of them in the crowd began to walk in love and walk in peace. Nope. It's not what the Bible says. How did the Jews know that we're already saved and filled with the Holy Ghost? How did the Jews know that the Italians got the same thing that the Jews got at Pentecost? It wasn't because they were walking in love. It's because they started to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Read Acts 10 for yourself doesn't say they started operating in the fruit of the spirit. It says that they spoke with other tongues and prophesied and the Jews were amazed and said, they got what we got. You know why they were amazed? They couldn't believe Gentiles would get the same gift as Jews. And this is why Peter said in acts 1034, I can clearly see that God is no respecter of persons. You see that Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. He meets 12 men. He says to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? What was their answer? We've not even heard there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit, right? So then what does Paul say? What baptism were you baptized with then? And they said, well, John's baptism. He said, no, that's just baptism in water. Okay, so now go to Acts 19 and look what what Paul does. He said, no, 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 you were just baptized in water. Now look at this, I'll read you Acts 19 starting with verse four, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, verse five. Upon hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Did Paul leave them then? Did he just leave them then to say, well, good luck. Now you're Christians. Start changing the world. No. He didn't even ask them if they wanted to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. By the way, what is up with our churches in 2021, and 2022, what is up with our churches having these multi-step processes, processes, however you want to say it, to get baptized in the Holy Ghost? Are you interested in being baptized in the Holy Spirit? If so, fill this card out. And after you fill this card out, we want you to come to six weeks of uh, training. And after you come, we've got a podcast we want you to hear. And after that, we've got a mini book we want you to read. And if, if after all that, you still want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like, what are you doing? Trying to talk them out of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's like, what's the deal? There was no, there was just a command from Jesus. And then after that, people started getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. They didn't ask him. Do you find anywhere in Acts chapter eight where Peter and John had anybody fill out some kind of a form or do a survey How many of you here in Samaria that have been saved just lift a hand just lift a hand to heaven if you'd like uh, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit we've got Peter and John here and they're great guys you know they lead our men's ministry and we've got Peter and John here and they would love to just meet with you in a back room they would love to just have a coffee with you and talk over the Holy Spirit how just if you don't mind if you're comfortable just slip up a hand would you just slip up a hand we've got Peter and John here they want to just meet with you they're good guys they love people you know we can we can vouch for their integrity. And they'd like, no, they didn't ask. They didn't ask whether or not they wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They laid their hands on them and every one of them got filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul didn't ask the men in Ephesus, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I know it's a command of Jesus, but would you like to just uh, directly contradict his commands? I mean, seriously, how dumb can we get when we, when we see Jesus commanding it all the apostles carrying out the commands, and in 2021, 2022, we're asking Christians. You know what we're basically doing? We're asking Christians if they would like to obey the commands of Christ. Do you feel comfortable obeying the command of Christ to receive the power of the Holy Spirit? What a stupid thing to do. I told you I'm ranting today. I put it in the title so you, you're, you're locked in. You're, you're invested at this point. You just got to stay with me. What a stupid thing to do. Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, I know Jesus commanded it, but you know, if you don't want it, it's fine if you want to just flout his decree. It's like, what are you doing? And you wonder why we've got people leaving the church, kids leaving the church, kids going to drugs, kids going to gangs, kids going to sex, kids going to... Why do you think? It's because we've got churches that have no power. Why do you think? Well, I wouldn't even want to go to a church that had no power. I wouldn't want to go to some church that's got no manifestation of the Holy Ghost. What a, what a stupid thing to reject the power of God. And that's a Bible prophecy, by the way, that in the last days you would have people who have a form of godliness. Second Timothy chapter three, they've got a form of godliness and they deny his power. And the Bible says, and when you see those people turn away, turn away from them, turn away from them. The Bible tells us in first Thessalonians chapter five, not to quench the Holy Spirit. Listen to it. First, first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16, rejoice always pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So we're not supposed to quench the Holy Spirit. If He's moving, let Him move. We yield to His moving. Well, you know, we, the problem is people have been so caught up in church growth seminars where some dead preacher told you not to have speaking in tongues in your Sunday morning service because you know it's really for the unbeliever and if you really want to reach the unbeliever you can't be doing all this crazy holy spirit stuff and laying hands on people and having people speak in tongues people getting healed that'll just freak out the visitor first of all since when did we curate our church services for the unbeliever it's not for the unbeliever now we're glad the unbeliever comes they should get saved yes But church is to equip the believers. Church is to equip and empower those that are already saved. Why would I alter my church service to make someone who is dead in their trespasses and in their sins comfortable in their trespasses and sins? The whole point is that if you're in the presence of God, you should feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what do you have? Nothing. You got a social club. You might as well shut the doors of your church and move on and go do something else because you don't have it. You don't have it. I'm not saying that people can't get saved. They should get saved in your church. Absolutely. They should get saved in your church, but I don't curate my church service. I can't even imagine doing that. It was like, well, let's make sure every single thing since when did everything in church become about not making someone uncomfortable? bunch of wimps. We don't want you to have to lift your hand. If you're you're comfortable, if you don't mind, just slip a hand up. What the heck are you talking about? Do you know people? Do you know people? Have you ever been to any event in public? You think people have an issue raising a hand? There's people who take their shirts off and they're extremely overweight and paint their bellies and paint their chest and paint their face and shake it into a camera in a freezing cold football game in the middle of the winter. You think people are going to have an issue raising a hand? They're screaming hi mom into a camera with half of their belly painted red, half of their belly painted blue and a Viking hat on. I mean, like you honestly think somebody's like, "Uh do you even know people? We don't want you to be uncomfortable. How are you going to even live a Christian life if you're uncomfortable being uncomfortable? Seriously, you're going to have persecution. That's why I tell people when I invite people to the altar to be saved, one of the things that I tell people, if you can't come to the altar publicly and stand for Jesus in a room full of people that want you to be saved and serve God, how in the world are you going to go out the doors into a generation and a culture that does not want you to serve Jesus and stand strong? You can't even do it in a room full of people that want you to do it. So don't tell me. That's why. And I love what my Uncle Tiff says uh, often. Camouflage altar calls produce camouflage Christians. Camouflage altar calls produces camouflage Christians. What What is that? What's a camouflage altar call? I don't care if people see you coming to the altar. They should see it. You're making, you are making a declaration in front of men. If you'll confess me in front of men, I will confess you in front of the father. Right? It's not a secret. Just everyone close your eyes really tight. Bow your heads. No one will see. That's just our effort to make people not be embarrassed. But you should be embarrassed to remain in sin after you've heard the gospel message and you've had the Holy Spirit call you out. The real embarrassment should be remaining in sin in your seat. Don't get me started on these people. Well, you know, altar calls aren't biblical. How do you freaking think they knew how many people got saved at each place in the New Testament? How do you think they knew it was 3,000 and 4,000 and 5,000 and 6,000? How do you think they knew how many got saved? You don't think they were counting? How could you count? Unless you know who's being added. How do you know who's being added? It's it's not hidden. It's crazy. We're embarrassed to serve Jesus. And that's what the devil wants. People that are embarrassed to serve Jesus. Embarrassed of the Holy Ghost. You're not Pentecostal. I don't care what denomination your church is. I don't care if you're Assemblies of God, I don't care if you're Church of God, I don't care if you're Church of God in Christ, I don't care if you're United Pentecostal Church. I don't care if you, I don't care what you are. International Pentecostal Holiness Church, I don't care which denomination you are. If your church doesn't manifest the power of the Holy Ghost, you aren't Pentecostal. Cause it's not about a sign on a door and it's not about what's in your bylaws and constitution. And it's not on your, it uh, doesn't matter what's on your, what we believe page on your website. If you don't do it, you're not Pentecostal. You're not. Well, you know, we believe in speaking in tongues. We just don't speak in tongues. You're not Pentecostal. Well, we believe Jesus heals. We just don't actually lay hands on the sick and pray for them in this church actually, because we. you're not Pentecostal. You got a bunch of people in these denominational churches with their tails between their legs. Losers. I'm talking to the leaders. You got leaders that are of the uh, assemblies of God in certain areas demanding that their pastors be vaccinated or have their credentials stripped from them. Uh, This is a denomination that used to believe in divine healing. That for the majority now, they do not only not practice it, they don't even believe it. They don't even believe it. You got pastors, you go into their office and their bookshelves are filled with John MacArthur and John Piper books. They've gotten so intelligent that they don't believe in it. you got nothing. You've got nothing. You carry no power in your spirit. You carry no anointing and everyone can tell when you minister that you've got nothing. It's barely a motivational speech. It's barely a motivational speech. People aren't being saved. People aren't being baptized. People aren't being healed. People aren't being delivered. People aren't being set free. It's barely anything. Why would anyone even come to your church? It's nothing. It's nothing. We are nothing without the Holy Ghost. We are nothing without Jesus. It's not about how great of a speaker somebody is. Wasn't that so eloquent? Was so eloquent. He's just so eloquent. You got nothing, nothing. You're a tinkling cymbal, a sounding brass. You got nothing. It sickens me to sit through, watch these videos and sit through church services. People got nothing because they don't press into the Holy Ghost. They don't care. They don't care you wonder why. Why are some things failing? They're failing because the people that are in leadership positions don't give a crap. That's why. They're comfortable with their little salary, being able to go on their little vacations and go on there and do their little thing. And as long as the branding is good, and as long as the music, you better get into the Holy Ghost and start having some manifestations of power that are bringing people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Because we don't have time to screw around in 2021, 2022, people playing games while the world's going to hell and people are playing games. And it's ridiculous. You're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And I hear the behind the scenes story. Hey, Jay, so you have to have more than skinny jeans and Yeezy Boost? Yes. Yes. You might have to have more than a great sense of fashion. We have literally turned, let me me just say this, we have turned what powerful is, what relevant is into somebody's sense of fashion. Do you realize how stupid that is? Do you realize how stupid that is? People thought John the Baptist was crazy for what he looked like in the wilderness. They thought he was crazy. What are you dressing like that for? What are you eating like that for? We have turned, listen, I, and I'm all for being funny. You know me, I like, I like, I like funny. I don't mind, I don't mind there be, but you, there better be some power. And we have, how, how have we gotten to the church where our conferences, we, de- we determine how uh, successful and powerful our conferences are by how, uh, by the fashion sense of the guest speakers, by the branding. You know, Jesus had no LED walls. And I've got one. But I mean, that doesn't carry the anointing. You can have all the LED walls in the world. If you don't have the anointing, you know at has some of the biggest LED walls? Soccer stadiums in Europe. They surround the whole bottom of the soccer stadium and put out advertisements through the entire match. Those guys aren't anointed, just because the soccer players have LED walls, just because they've got great branding, they've got great fashion sense. It doesn't make you anointed. I've sat through services and listened to people preach and minister, great fashion sense, really well put together. They might even be kind of funny. No power, no anointing, no manifestation, no glory. It's sad because there's plenty that know better. Since when do we become embarrassed? Why, why would you ever get up in the pulpit and apologize for what happens in a service? It's all right to explain it and tell people what's going on. Now, what we're doing here, we're laying hands on people because they need, they need healing in their body. And the Bible tells us that if we'll lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna lay hands on these people and believe God to touch their bodies. But you don't get up and apologize how many know you know this I know this seems crazy this seems really crazy to a lot of people guys <laughs> stupid Just people are straight up dumb well maybe you've never been to a church like this before and this this service is kind of out there for you but you know when you get into the church like this it gets crazy <laughs> it's all right to explain it but stop being apologetic Stop being apologetic. Stand in some authority and watch God move. Like, what do you think is going to happen? People are going to leave there and be like, can you believe that? Who cares? They laid hands on people. They touched their heads. Who cares what you think? You're dead in trespasses and in sins. You're on your way to hell. Do you honestly think I care what your opinion is of me speaking in tongues or me laying hands on the sick or me preaching the gospel with boldness? I don't care. My job and your job as a Christian and as a preacher, our job is not to make people like us. That's what I don't understand. People think apparently that that's the job. That's not the job. The job is not to try to get people to like us. The job is to preach the word with boldness and to watch God do what he promised he would do. I don't create converts. The Holy Spirit does that. No man can be saved unless the spirit of God draws him. I'm not the spirit of God. I'm a man. I yield to the Spirit of God. I do what He asks me to do. But I'm not the Spirit of God. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just a servant of God. So either I will do what a servant does and serve Him with gladness and do what He asks me to do, or I'm not His servant. But I'm not going to sit around and apologize. Well, you know, this is a time of the service that some people may become a little, I understand you might be a little uncomfortable with this, but if you're uncomfortable, leave and go somewhere else. It's not my job to make you like me. It's not my job to make sure all your feelings are intact. It's my job to obey the word of God. Doesn't mean I don't walk in love. Doesn't mean I walk in peace. Doesn't mean I don't walk in joy. But you do realize, don't you? Let me, let me, let me break something down. We have a false hope. In many churches. And the false hope is that we're going to be able to make everyone who comes through those doors approve of what we do. That's a stupid goal. First of all, we already know, that according to Scripture, that not everybody's going to approve of what the Bible teaches or what we preach. There will be some that oppose us. In fact, according to scripture, many will oppose us. They will we'll be hated all over the world for his name's sake. No question about that. So this goal of please everybody and make everyone love us and like us and want to hang around, it's not going to happen. Furthermore, there will be demonized people that come into the church. And we're we're not called to make them happy or to settle them down. We're called to cast out devils. That gets uncomfortable for people. It's all right. You got to do what the Bible says to do. Otherwise, what are you? You've got a problem at your church if demonized people can come and sit in the pew for two years and never even feel the need to manifest because there's no anointing even provoking that spirit. You got a problem. You got a serious problem. You got people coming to uh, your church and they can come for three years and live in sin and never feel the conviction to repent of sin and come to Christ. You've got a problem. You've got a problem. Receiving the Holy Spirit is very easy, Emmanuel. The Bible says they laid their hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. That's what happened. It can also happen as the ministry is going on, as it did in Acts chapter 10. It's not, a, it's not some mystery. We've tried to make things too complicated. That's what I was talking about earlier. Deliverance, healing, baptism of the Holy Spirit, preaching on holiness. Since when do we become embarrassed of the doctrines of the Bible? We've gotten so into series and we've gotten so into surface level teaching and topical that we've left the doctrines of the Bible. People in the church don't even know what they believe. You got people leaving as young people because they can't reconcile the questions that are in their spirit about God and about the world. And they got pastors that can't even tell them the answers. I've listened to the questions. And some of these kids have questions. Some some are older, 20, 30. There was a very famous guy from a Christian band that recently, you know, left the faith, became an apostate because his pastor couldn't answer his burning questions about Christianity. And I was like, man, those must be rough questions that he, you know, he's a Christian singer and everything he must know. I looked at the questions and they're easy, easy to answer, easy to answer. And I'm thinking to myself, that pastor is going to answer to God one day that he couldn't answer these questions for this young man that needed the truth of the word. I'm blown away by it, to be honest with you, but we know it's Bible, you know, in one sense I am, in one sense I'm not, because I know it's Bible prophecy that in the last days, the hearts of many will grow cold, that in the last days, many will fall away from the faith. I get all those things. I know it's Bible prophecy, but to see it happening before your eyes and it be so obvious and in your face is ridiculous. When you've got full gospel denominations discussing whether they should have homosexuals and volunteer positions in their church, you say, well, we all sin, brother. Okay, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Well, don't pick on one sin, brother, because we all sin. Oh, really? So you're going to tell me that forget homosexuality. What if it was just, you know, what if it was an adulterer? What if it was a crack addict? Whatever sin you want to pick out, you're going to tell me that if you know the sin publicly, you're going to still put him in charge of the children's ministry? Well, you know, we're just short in that area. We just don't have as many volunteers as we we actually need. And I know he's, you know, I know he's addicted to meth, but, you know, our kids really need somebody to help them in the kids ministry. Well, I know, you know, seriously? Well, I know he's he's an avid adulterer, but, you know, we need more ushers uh, in the usher group. It's like, Seriously? Well, don't pick on one sin, brother. I'm not picking on one sin. doesn't matter what the sin is. If you're openly engaged in it and you're letting everybody know about it, then maybe the thing for you is not volunteer positions in the church. Maybe praise and worship leader is not really where you should be standing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, and this is the thing that people need to understand is that the moment you become ashamed What you're really becoming ashamed of is God's word. You're becoming ashamed of God's power and you can't separate God himself from his power. Right? You can't separate God from his power. He is his power. Hey Jay, this is Jim. He's volunteered to help with the children. He's on parole. (laughs) Sorry, I was late to kids ministry today. I had to check in with my parole officer. And people were just not using wisdom, but since when have we become embarrassed of the Holy Spirit, of his power, of his glory, man, I don't have a church, but if I ever did, you better believe that there would never be even one second of any type of an apologetic flare or feeling in, in my pulpit in the house that God would give me, you better believe there would never be a moment. And if I ever had anybody say anything from the platform that even felt apologetic, there would be an open rebuke an explanation that we're not apologizing. You know, when you hear things, when you hear things like, uh, uh, you know, I, I recently heard where there was a family who left their Holy ghost filled church because they had to move for work. And uh, they moved to another state, to the same denominational church that they found, they asked the pastor, it's a Holy Ghost church on paper, would it be all right if we just stayed around after the service and prayed in the Holy Ghost at the altar? And the pastor told him, no, no, that would not be okay. Really? How come? I thought this was a Pentecostal church. Well, actually, the pastor said, I've not let the people know that this is a spirit-filled church yet. Oh, really? Really? He said, yeah, and furthermore, uh, I don't really have a plan in place to tell them we are a spirit-filled church. Oh, (laughs) so you became a pastor in a spirit-filled denomination, but you don't want to let the people know you're spirit-filled, so you're hiding it. You're hiding it. Since when did anybody hide it in the New Testament? So that's the other thing. Everybody gets their favorite preacher, you know, their favorite, and I'm not speaking against preachers. I'm just saying as as a, that's why I'm not naming names uh, in that way. But, you know, you get your favorite preacher and be like, man, he's really charismatic. You know, I think he's filled with the Holy Ghost. People get into that. They get it, especially Pentecostals. They love that. Like, did you hear this? Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear his message? Yeah, so powerful. he's so charismatic. I think he's, I think he's even filled with the Holy Ghost. I think he said he is filled with the Holy Ghost at one point. It's like, dude, why do you have to hint at the fact you're filled with the Holy Ghost? If you are, be Holy Ghost, why are you hiding it? Why, why, do you, why do you have it in a place? Well, you know, we, we don't want to like put it out in the forefront because we want to reach as many people as possible. What does reach mean? What does reach mean? That's the question I want to ask these guys. Well, the reason we don't do a lot of that, you know, we don't do all the speaking in tongues in our, in our services or like laying on of hands or altar calls is just we want to have the ability to minister to as many people as possible. And I noticed that when you start incorporating that stuff, you know, some people don't show up and it's a, what, what does minister mean? What does reach mean? Are you talking about people in the seats? You want to have as many people in the seats as possible? Open a theater. Open a theater. Open a sporting event. Well, you know, we just want to be able to touch as many people as possible. What does touch mean? What does minister mean? What does reach mean? Because you're not making any impact. You're not making any impact on their life if you don't impact them by the power of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't work that way. You can't minister to someone's mind and just hope that the mental knowledge changes their life. It's not mental knowledge. You can't minister to someone's flesh and expect the flesh change to change their life. It's a spiritual thing. Christianity is a spiritual thing. It requires spiritual substance and spiritual power. Since when do we become so embarrassed that we're filled with the Holy Ghost, that we speak in tongues? I can't deal with it. I can't can't deal with it. I'm done. You know, I'm not trying to widen my circle, broaden my circle. You know, I don't hope to be sometime someday invited to places that are big, but they just don't have the Holy Ghost. If they don't want it, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. (laughs) I would rather stay in the groove of those that are hungry for the Holy Ghost that want to see the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Scroll back up to Uchenna's comment, Maddie. Uchenna said, the Holy Spirit. Tongues reached a minimum of one service, but a 200 person church is too good to do it? Exactly. Exactly. It's all about pride. It's pride. It's pride. Well, we just, you know, we don't want to, oh, yeah, because you want your image to be so far away from controversy. It's going to be controversial. You're never going to please everybody. It won't happen. And, and I'll tell you in this book, 21 day fast field guide. I wrote this to you because I know this is who you are. But when I did the dedication on the very first page before it begins, I put three things, three short sentences for the faithful. We'll never grow cold. We'll never fall away. That's all I wrote. That's the whole dedication right there. That's to you for the faithful. We'll never grow cold. We'll never fall away. That's it. We'll never grow cold will never fall away. What's the point of that? I'm not going to live my life in such a way that I'm embarrassed of what God does. I will be the faithful. You will be the faithful that stays strong, that stays on fire, that stays bold, that stays urgent, that stays compassionate, that reaches into this culture and generation and pulls people by the power and help of God out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's our call. That's who we are. We'll never be apologetic, I I pray, and I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. But remember something. Salvation wasn't the end of Jesus' plan. Baptism in the Holy Spirit was. You hear me? I'm gonna say it again because if you don't understand it, you'll miss it. Salvation was not the end of Jesus redemption plan, the baptism in the Holy spirit was, doesn't mean that you're not redeemed. If you don't have the baptism, the Holy spirit and speak in tongues. I'm not saying that. And there are denominations that believe that, that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. I'm not saying that you can be saved without speaking in tongues, but it's not God's desire. And I want you to put that. I love you, Dave. Put that in the comments. The last thing I'm going to say before we pray Salvation was not the end of the redemption plan, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was. That's not controversial because Jesus prophesied it. It's not controversial to say that. It's biblical to say that. It's biblical to say that. Salvation was not the end of Christ's redemptive plan, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. That's what we need to get in our spirits because every Christian is called to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. No question. No question. That's God's plan. It's his desire. He wants you to be empowered to do the work that Jesus did. The works that I do, you will do also and greater works than these because I'm going to be with my father in heaven. That is the key. Notice that last phrase, because I'm going to be with my father in heaven. What did he say? And when I go to the father, I will pray to the father and he'll send you another comforter. That is the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll empower you. That's the promise. That's the promise. That's for you. That's for me. And I thank God for you. I thank God for the victory tribe, not ashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for you. And I want to pray for those of you that are watching and listening today and ask God. We all need it. I want a new fire. And that's why I'm so thankful. We're getting ready to start this fast in the new year. We're going to get fresh instruction. We're going to get a fresh fire. We're going to have fresh urgency, fresh compassion. We're not running out. We're not running out of virtue. We're going into this new year in power and in anointing. It's going to be the best year we've ever seen. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus name, thank you for every faithful member of this Victory Tribe. I pray today That you would fill us with a fresh boldness and fire and urgency, compassion for the people of this world. And I pray that you would use us in a mighty way. Lord, let us never be embarrassed of the mighty power of your spirit. Let us never be embarrassed of the Holy Ghost, of speaking in tongues, of laying hands on the sick, of bringing deliverance to the captive, casting out devils. Let us never be embarrassed of the works of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your favor, your loving kindness. We ask you, Lord, to let us be in position for promotion before this month comes to an end in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to challenge you before we go, sow a seed into this ministry. God's getting ready to take us to a new financial place in 2022. That's part of the word that we received. It's going to be a year of divine possession. (laughs) I'm telling you, I I might rant again. I've done it already, but these people that don't understand uh, biblical prosperity, that God wants to cause his children to abound. So prosperity isn't just money. Of course, it's not just money, but it does include money, finances. (laughs) Why do you think God made a covenant with his people in the Old Testament, a material wealth covenant? Well, God's not interested in material wealth and finance. Then why did he make a covenant with his nation of material wealth in the Old Testament? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? God's not against it, he's for it. He is the Lord that causes us to prosper, he's the shepherd. Now, won't lack any good thing. We'll never be beggars, never be without, if we stay faithful. And so I'm challenging you today, sow a seed by faith. And for this month of December, we're sending you uh, Pastor Mark Hankins, who I love so much. His book, Faith Opens the Door to the Supernatural. It's our gift to you in the month of December. Uh, If you'd like to receive it after you've stood with us, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill out the form and um, we'll get it to you as quickly as possible. Also, this new book is now available, 21 Day Fast Field Guide, and uh, this is gonna prepare you for the fast that we've got coming up uh, starting January the 2nd through the 22nd. Uh, Wherever you are in the world, listen. Grab it on Amazon so that you get it before the first of the year. Um, It's gonna bless you, it's gonna help you. Uh, It's a devotional for everyone every day of this fast. It's got plenty of content to, to build your spirit and to give you not only equipment to do it, but to encouragement to do it. And trust me, I've been on enough 21 day fast to know that you've got to stay encouraged. You've got to stay motivated. You've got to stay on topic as you are fasting and as you are praying. Um, we're going to read the entire New Testament in 21 days. We're going to uh, fast and pray and get fresh instruction from God, be equipped to do what he's called us to do in the new year. And we're going to be in position for promotion. This will help you. So grab it on Amazon. It's called the 21 Day Fast Field Guide. And you can get a copy of that. Also, my other book is available from last year's fast, uh, a complete guide to biblical fasting. Um, And I've read all of the major books on fasting and prayer. Uh, I own all of them. I've done plenty of research on this topic. Uh, I've done a lot of reading, a lot of study on it. And I wanted to produce a book that was going to be the book I wanted to read, the book that would answer every question and uh, and give me fuel to do what the Lord has asked us to do. So it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to start it January the 2nd through the 22nd. As many nights as I'm able, I'm gonna be live with you at night, um, except for nights where I'm speaking, you know, in, in revivals, which are all on the schedule. but. Uh, Other than that, I will be live with you and be teaching, preaching, and and staying with you uh, at least twice a day on the days where I'm not in revival. So I'm looking forward to that. I love you so much. Don't forget, send in your awkward Christmas family photos. Tomorrow we're going to be announcing the winner. They've got to be in before nine o'clock tonight. And so uh, the winner gets $100 to Amazon, second place, $50 to Amazon. Get them to jenna at miracleword.com before nine o'clock Eastern time. And we'll we'll show them tomorrow. And I'm gonna show you those pictures too of me and my cousin. I love you guys. Have a great and powerful day. Carolyn's gonna be live at two o'clock today. So you don't wanna miss it. Carolyn's back 2 p.m right here on these channels. I love you. I'll see you again in the morning. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.